Welcome, everybody, to the third edition of the TM Up podcast. I'm Jace Houston, joined here by Jarrett Huff. Jarrett, another week of NBA basketball. We're getting more into that thick of the season. How are you feeling, my man? I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, two weeks in, uh, there's been plenty of action so far. Uh, some surprises, some breakout players. Um, I actually went to my first NBA game on Thursday night, uh, and it's like six years. So it was great being at the United Center. Bulls lost, unfortunately, but felt like a playoff game for a second there. No, that definitely. I, I was a little jealous. I, I've actually never been to an NBA game so far. I know I got to get out there, but me being yeah, a Miami yeah. Heat fan, that's quite the distance. I got to wait for them to come to town and play the Bulls and we'll be able to get over there. But yeah, it's it's been a great season so far and we got a lot of things to run through. So I think we just kind of want to jump right into it. So as we're two weeks in, we're starting to kind of get that better picture of what teams are kind of poised for the playoffs, what teams maybe quickly be turning their focus towards next season already. But I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of give you guys our warning levels for kind of a few teams that maybe haven't gotten off to the best start, maybe some that have, but we're going to kind of go through ranging from a green light where kind of you see no concern, you know, full speed ahead type of teams all the way through red alert. So we'll run through our picks for each level of concern. So Jared, I just want to start us off. So I'm going to start here at the bottom of the, I guess you could say warning level with the green light full steam ahead. Who is your green light team right now? So not only do I have one team, but I actually have four teams uh, right here. My green light is to the top of the Eastern conference. Those top four teams are all five and one right now. Uh, The Washington wizards, which are a surprise to me, the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, and the New York Knicks, they've all looked pretty good so far this year. They've definitely been through challenges. Some of the schedules have been a little easier than others, but I think each team has proven that they can beat tough teams, and uh, it's going to be super exciting to see where these guys fall by the end of the season. No, definitely. I agree. And and my green light team, I had to go with it. I know I'm, I'm not trying to be a homer, but how good have the Miami Heat looked this season, man? I mean, come on, five good. and one. The only loss they've had came in overtime to Indiana, Indiana, which does kind of suck considering that's the only win so far for Indiana. That's kind of the one dark spot you can look at. But how about wins over Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Memphis and Charlotte to kick off the season? I mean, this team is fourth in points per game, first in rebounds per game, seventh in assists per game, second in opponents point per game. They're scoring a lot. They're just suffocating on the defensive end this team is deep i mean even with bam out of bio missed saturday's game against memphis and they still won by 26 points i mean so far it's very early in the season and i know we've been saying that for three episodes now but miami has passed every test that they have been given so far this season and as long as they stay healthy for me it's truly full steam ahead for this team and i know some people might have thought you know i had them at the three seed we might be looking at the top seed in the East when this is all said and done. It's very possible. It's definitely, I would not cross it off, but whoa, Miami. Let's go, man. <laughs> I say, I think the top seed is very possible, especially because um, you could see a team like the Nets, which not doing too great in the standings right now, but they might coast a little bit just because their guys are a little older uh, injuries and stuff like that. Whereas you got guys like Kyle Lowry and uh, Jimmy Butler who are also pretty old, but those guys don't know like, how to turn off they're just going to go full steam no. ahead and give no, it 100 every night so it's what, what i love about that team too it's, it seems like every addition they made i mean pj tucker's always been one of those guys he doesn't fill up a stat sheet but he affects winning and everybody who's played on the same roster or has been a fan of a team that he's played on knows that he does the plays that don't stand out in the stat sheet and that's what miami is built on you know they're not going to have these 30 point scorers even though tyler hero off the bench is really making his push for being a 30 point scorer but 
they don't expect that and they don't need that. They're more of, you know, our top guys are going to get between 20 to 25. Bam Adebayo is going to give you between 18 and 22. He's going to give you a double-double with those rebounds. And they're just going to continue to suffocate you on the defensive end. I think we both in agreement there. Obviously, you added some more teams, but green live full speed ahead so far, so good for Miami. So now kind of taking a step up a little bit more towards the blue, maybe just some concerns you've seen, definitely not hitting any sort of panic button for these teams. But what does your kind of blue warning level look like? Uh, my blue warning level is for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, it's kind of concerning with the play of James Harden so far. I know the the rules changing has affected him he seems kind of out of his rhythm he doesn't seem super comfortable yet I don't I'm not like panicking on this team obviously because I mean at the end of the day it's Kevin Durant and James Harden even without Kyrie this is still a really good basketball team I mean they have Blake Griffin coming off the bench Lawrence Aldridge plenty of savvy veterans Paul Millsap Patty Mills this team's going to figure it out and they're going to be I believe towards the top of the conference and I mean they're my number one uh pick for the top seed so I got to have some confidence. I can't, I can't hedge on that bet yet. Yeah, I know. We, we both had him up there. You had him there as the one seed. I had him up there as the two seed, but my blue warning level is also the Brooklyn Nets. I think it kind of, we we're both in agreement here. The team sitting at three and three, and this is kind of just to the talent of James Harden and Kevin Durant. You expect a lot more, but James or sorry, Kevin Durant, let's just be honest. He's looked fantastic this year. You know, I haven't always been a Kevin Durant fan, but credit where credit's due. He has looked, if not the best player in the league, one of the best players in the league this year by far. But my biggest concern for this team is they're just not scoring enough. And for a team that's led by Kevin Durant and James Harden, that's concerning to me a little bit that they're just not getting it done on the offensive end. You know, this team, it's not going to have a great defensive emphasis. That's not what they're built around. They're a team that needs to score a lot of points. They want to be up there in the 115, 120 margin, like margin of scoring at the end of the game, end of the game. And they're just not up there. I mean, they're 25th in scoring right now, 24th in assists per game. That's just not going to get it done. So I'm not saying that, this team can't be fixed, and next week we could be saying something completely different. But for right now, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, I'm at least a little bit concerned, just, just a little bit, here to start this season. Yeah, and then moving on to yellow. So now we're starting to get towards the middle, maybe some teams that, you know, have a little bit more problems, offensive, defensive. So who's your kind of yellow warning level team right now? Uh, my yellow team is uh, the Phoenix Suns, which ironically, wow, I got uh, two of my top picks for uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I had the Suns as the second seed uh, at the start of our NBA season, but the Suns, they're two and three right now, I believe. And uh, they've lost uh, some concerning games. They got blew out by like 30 points by Portland. Uh, I believe they lost a game to the Cavs or um, they no, they played a close game to the Cavs the other mm -hmm. night and they're. Their wins just don't look super convincing, and the losses just – they're not great. Um, I'm not totally panicking on this team either, but the West is so competitive that you don't want to find yourself deep in the hole early in this season because it might be really hard to climb back out of it in this conference. No, it's I, so competitive. I, I absolutely could not agree more, and we've talked about for years past. I mean, it's it's been fact that the Western Conference has been better, and I don't know if – we're starting to see a little bit of a swing where as far as the teams go, the Eastern Conference, I mean, it's no cakewalk anymore. There's some tough teams over there, and they're getting stronger every year is what it seems like. But my yellow team, it's funny, I also have the Phoenix Suns. They sit there wow. at three and three. I know normally we don't we don't have this type of agreement, especially 
up and down and I level his concerns, but. And technically I have a heat too, as my green. So yeah. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for the Phoenix suns, you know, I went back and forth between them and the Los Angeles Lakers for this pick, but I kind of feel like they should just be maybe a little bit more worried. I don't think the Los Angeles Lakers are feeling great about themselves either, but I went with the Phoenix suns, you know, 18th in points per game is okay. 19th in opponents point per game. So they're middle of the pack, both offensive and defensively. I'm concerned about a possible finals hangover. Just a little bit. I know we see a lot of times these teams that play deep into the season might take a little bit to get going. I know Chris Paul obviously is a catalyst to that team, him being a little up there in age and not having those that previous NBA Finals experience. It's something he's never had to go through before. He's never had to play that deep into the season and to come out and try to lead this team. It just seems like the defensive effort just hasn't been there like we saw last year. They gave up 134 points to uh, Portland. They lost to Sacramento. And I wrote down the same exact thing that you said, being in that Western Conference, man, they can't afford to slip back into the pack, but they're going to find themselves just looking up at all these teams and just a mountain that they are not going to be able to climb, man. So, yeah, I mean, so far we've agreed. We got our green, blues, yellows. So now we're getting to the teams where we are pretty very concerned about going into our orange level. So, Jarrett, who's your orange team, man? I'm interested to see if we agree on, on the uh, the way out. Um. Since I know your uh, position on this team, I can't I actually I think it's probably going to be your red team. So I think this is where our list is going to split a little bit. But my orange team is the Boston Celtics. No way is the Boston. Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know if it's a, just the change in leadership where uh, you have a new head coach. Uh, I don't know if it's some of the pieces on the roster not fitting, but things are just not looking great for the Celtics to start this season. Um, they only have two wins right now. And like in the West, the East is trying to become one of those conferences where you really don't want to fall behind early in the season because you could end up with a Knicks Hawks situation where those are the teams at the four and the five and you have the fifth seed going to the uh, Eastern conference finals. So it's not going to be like you're going to get stuck with a easy uh, team to play against. And if you're a lower seeded team, like you're going to be facing some good teams. So the Celtics, they really need to figure it out and try to climb back up those standings. I mean, it's still really early, but I could honestly see this as a situation where maybe a big move needs to be made. I, I couldn't agree with, with you more. I've been on the Boston Celtics since our very first episode. Something that I, I said I would die on this hill, and I just think we have to be honest with Boston. They're not a great roster. Besides Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're not a great roster. It's a bunch of middle to lower middle role players and they just can't seem to get the job done like you said there's a change the head coaching position they're having to deal with that Jason Tatum is a stud I think he's a great player I really do but they struggle against these high scoring offenses they're just they can't slow them down enough for their offense to keep up this team is 30th in the NBA giving up 118.3 points per game that defense is not going to get it done especially in the Eastern Conference it's just I think it's the beginning of some not great things to come for Boston. I've been on this since the beginning. And I, you talked a little bit there about seeding. I don't think Boston has to worry about seeding at all because I think they're going to be even further out of that playoff hunt than I originally thought at the beginning of the season. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's, I'm really curious to see who your red team is. If you That was your, uh, your orange. Dude, they're, they're dropping, man. They're just dropping. They've done nothing to prove me wrong so far. I know if we had any listeners over in Boston, they'd probably think it's ridiculous. But 
I, I said this from the beginning, prove me wrong. I want Boston to prove me wrong. And I just see it every year. They just kind of rest on these laurels of being the Boston Celtics and you know, they haven't done anything. You got to go do something, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We been perfect so far on the way through. So we got to close it out here with our red alert teams, man. Who is your red alert, all hands on deck team right now? All right. Well, considering how the Celtics were uh, your orange team, I'm probably I'm pretty confident that this team uh, could be your red team. Okay. Uh, well, at least mine is the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, no way. Are we this, getting, this is insane. Are we five for five. We are five for five. Dude, yep. Perfect shooting from the field. Let's go. Oh, wow. Right. In agreement, Great minds man. Think alike. Great minds think alike. This oh, team. Wow. I, it's, I mean, we knew it wasn't going to be easy without Kawhi Leonard this season, but I didn't think it would be this bad. I don't say this often when it comes to stuff in sports, but I was wrong. I don't think the Clippers are going to be the eighth seed in the West this year. I think they'll be lucky to make the playing game. I mean, it's still really early, but I'm panicking. You look at the Clippers social media after a loss and they're praising Paul George for scoring 42 <laughs> points and nothing else about the team. It's basically a season for nothing Paul George to praise had his potential hall of fame career. It's, it's a mess. I mean, and then like, okay, Paul George is scoring 42 points. You're still losing games. Like that should not happen. That can't happen. If you want it, like it's a blown season, just like the Clippers are blowing a big chunk of their salary cap on Kawhi Leonard to pay him to sit this year. It's it's another lost year for Paul George and company. It's, it's kind of sad to see. Um, I was so high on that team years ago, actually uh, before the start of last season, I predicted that barring any major changes, the Clippers were the favorite for the title. And, uh, well, yeah, I was wrong then too. Man, the Clippers, I was wrong too. I had the Clippers sliding into that playoff spot, which right now looks like it's not going to happen. Obviously a long ways to go and and crazier things have happened. But like you said, one and four, and this team just struggles to score points. And it has nothing to do with Paul George. We've seen him fill up the stat sheet he's done it so many times in the past but it doesn't translate to winning it really doesn't they're 23rd in scoring they play way too small they're such a small team I mean Zubox is the only guy on their team that's like an actual center and he only plays 20 to 22 minutes a game and it just it's not going to get it done there's a lot of dominant big men in the west they lose the rebounding battle they are dead last in the NBA in rebounding at this point, I don't know if they can hang on long enough for Kawhi to come back. I think at this point, we, we kind of know Kawhi's history. At this point, if he just kind of looks at where the team's at when he starts to get ready to come back, knowing him, he might just shut it down for the rest of the season for some load management, just call it quits. And I thought this team was going to hover right around that 500 mark, you know, kind of make that late season push, slide into that seven or eight at the end with Kawhi Leonard. But I don't know that the, both of our hopes for that and, and our predictions just kind of seem like that's not going to happen barring some huge change and some lockdown on the defensive end, but it does not look good in Los Angeles for the Clippers, man. Yeah. I, I don't expect to see Kawhi Leonard take the floor at any point this year. I think he's going to sit the entire season. I don't, th- there's really, I don't think there's going to be anything for him to come back to. Well, exactly. I mean, and their job was to give Kawhi something to come back to, and, and they have not done that, and I don't think they will. As I was hoping Paul George's numbers would translate more, but, I mean, these teams are just – the teams that are playing them are just content to let Paul George drop 40 and we'll just walk out with a, with a victory. I mean, it doesn't seem 
that they're too concerned with him putting up numbers in. And why would you? I mean, they've got one win on the season so far. The Clippers have one win on the season so far. Like that wow. sentence would have made sense back in like 1996 or something. Oh yeah, it would. No, it definitely would. But wow, I can't believe we went through all of our uh, warning warning uh, colors there, and we matched them up perfectly. I did not foresee that coming. I mean, there was a few of them that thought we'd be the same, but I thought for sure we'd mix up a few. But wow, that's crazy. Lights out from the floor. Definitely perfect. But yeah, so now we want to kind of move on to kind of another storyline that's kind of been growing. It started in the offseason when the NBA kind of made some changes to how their officials will call fouls. Basically, when the offensive player is the one that's initiating the contact in a non-basketball or unnatural movement, uh, this has caused some notable effects throughout the league as players are trying to kind of get used to what is now a foul and what is not. This change has seen its fair share of supporters. A lot of players around the league saying this is the best thing that has ever happened in the league, but also some others such as James Harden and Trey Young have been very critical of it so far in the early season. So Jared, I'm just kind of interested to know how do you feel about how this, how this change has worked for the, the, the league. So I'm kind of old school when it comes to just my interest in basketball and stuff like that. Like I think it's the perfect move. It kind of turns back the clock or uh, you're kind of like jumping back in the time machine to kind of how games were played closer to 20, 30 years ago, where you're not seeing all these guys like just not even really like attempt to score, but just attempt to get these calls. They're not like looking. And I've seen so many situations where back in the old, uh, not the old times, like last season, for example, let's say Zach Levine's going to shoot and he like fakes and tries to draw contact without really trying to score when obviously like, okay, I'm watching him. I'm like, you could have tried to score the ball. Like, even though you're trying to sell, Mm-hmm. Like focus on actually scoring because then there's a time where the ref doesn't make that call, even though on a technicality at the time it was a foul. So you're just blowing up. It's like, it's almost in a way a turnover almost. And I like to see that element erased from the game. And I, I have no sympathy for James Harden or Trey Young or any of these players that are complaining about this rule change because it's better for the game. It speeds the game up. We're not slowing down every two minutes for like several foul shots. Like it's, it's awesome. It's real basketball, and I hope it trickles down to like the the generations of players coming after this, because I'm my biggest fear is um, everyone that's like watching like these James Harden types are going to be like, oh yeah, I should start doing that, and then by the time they get to the league, it's just ingrained into them that mm. this is how you play basketball when it's a very dishonest, impure style of basketball. So I'm I'm glad they got rid of it. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's been great for the NBA so far. Just the early returns. We're sitting here only six, seven games in, but the game just seems more natural. I mean, it's more natural to play the game of basketball. I mean, you grow up, most of us, even if our our playing careers lasted till sophomore year of high school, you know what's a foul, what's a shooting foul, and what's not. And when you kind of just jump into a defender, it shouldn't be called a foul just because you're the one initiating contact and because it affected your shot when you're the one who did it. You know, I, I just think in my eyes, it's made the game a little bit more physical, but not in a way that hurts the game. I think a little bit of physicality is good for the game because you want you don't want to see these guards being able to just run down the middle and not take any sort of punishment. And I don't mean punishment is trying to hurt somebody or trying to knock anybody out of the game. They do a great job protecting everybody, especially any sort of shot to the head. But you have to be able to feel these bodies because 
at the end of the day, you're not supposed to be able to go into the lane with a seven foot two guy who's 320 pounds and just get foul and foul, foul. Like you're supposed to feel that guy's presence. And that's what's part of what makes the game basketball, you know, basketball. It's what makes the NBA the NBA. And I think a lot of these criticisms have come from just the guys that have benefited the most from the free throws. I don't think that's any secret. And I've I've never been a huge fan of James Harden's game. I've been saying it for years that He's one of these guys. He just he relies on those 12 free throws a game at his height. I think I wrote down he averaged 11.8 free throws per game in 2020, so just a few years ago that, in my eyes, he just padded his scoring stats with. And I think what we're seeing right now from James Harden is more of what his box scores would have looked like without those free throws where, you know, he can get hot from the three-point line and he can knock things down, but more night in and night out, this is kind of what he is and – I agree with you. I think it's so much better. And I think that over time, the majority, the overwhelming majority of these players are going to be happy that this change was made, but I still think there's some work to do. I don't, I don't know how you feel. I mean, obviously things still have to get worked out, but I think there's still work to do. Yeah. I've still seen uh, blown calls where like, um, like the player sold it and it still got called a foul when it probably shouldn't have. Um, but I think the refs for the most part have got this down pretty well. Um, and yeah, I just have to say that um, with this change, like I've, I've seen people start to say like, Oh, they changed the game for Wilt. They changed the game for Jordan, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, Oh, now they're changing the game for Harden and Trey, which mm-hmm. I couldn't disagree more. I mean, those changes like against, well, it was kind of like, to improve the game of basketball like yeah he was super dominant but like okay a center standing in the lane for like more than three seconds like no one's ever going to score yeah so i think that was a good change um in this case i feel like it's the nba fixed a bug Mm -hmm. where the game was being exploited the purity of the game was being exploited by players that were technically within the the rules and regulations of the nba which i mean i guess even though i just i shun that style of basketball like do what you have to do to win i guess but i'm glad it's been taken away and i just i just think it's silly that anyone's upset about it no definitely i agree it was, they were exploiting the rules but they were doing it i mean it was completely legal it was a legal move and the league did what they felt they had to do to correct that and i think so far i mean obviously there's it, whenever any sort of change comes by there's going to be people that just don't like change in general they learn how to play a certain way they want to play a certain way but i think they keep going down this road kind of protect the purity of the game the more physical um version of this game and i just think five years from now all these players are going to look back and they're going to be very happy that this change was made and maybe even pushed a little bit further where they kind of find that line that they want to walk as a league, but I think we're both in agreement that that early returns and this change has been good for the league. And I, it wouldn't surprise me to see more things like this kind of come up as we've seen the league really lean towards offenses, the offenses getting rid of like hand checks and things like that, making this a really uh, guard driven league. We're kind of seeing not an entire swing, but kind of some more things that are helping the, the big men, um, these power forwards, these centers that they can actually now play a little bit of defense and not be so worried about fouling out early in the third quarter because now they can actually play solid defense. They can make contact with guys, and as long as they're making basketball moves and they're not affecting the shot, they are not going to get called for a foul. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to come from this in the coming you know weeks to months or, or even seasons. But kind of just branching off that, I just, I just talked a little bit about the big man and 
I want to just kind of move on here to our next topic. And this is something I kind of put down. I was watching the Lakers Cavaliers game the other day, and I was, I don't know about you, but I haven't watched much Cleveland basketball in the recent years, but uh, I wonder why. Yeah. Hasn't been too much to watch, but I was a big Sexland fan. <laughs> I, I don't know if I was just impressed with that game against the Lakers the other day, but I'm kind of interested in this Cavaliers team. I, I'm not making any sort of like prediction that they're going to come up and, do something in the Eastern Conference, but I think they're doing something that's kind of completely foreign in today's NBA, where it's they're starting three legit seven-footers on most nights. And it's weird where we see all these teams going to small ball. We see a lot of teams just playing without a center right after the opening uh, tip-off, just kind of saying, we don't need a center. we got our power forward who's more of a shooter anyways. We are not going to occupy the paint. We're going to give up rebounds, and that's okay. But they're kind of they're out there starting Jared Allen, Lori Markinen, and the rookie Evan Mobley. And I know you you probably haven't watched watched too many Cavs games, and I don't know if you've seen this or what you kind of think about how interesting is this lineup, and have you kind of are, are your thoughts kind of where mine are at? Where hey, you know, we're seeing something different in today's NBA. Well, I haven't seen too much Cavaliers in recent years, I will admit. Um, I did see a lot of them during the preseason because the Bulls played them a couple times. Um, And I also think it's super interesting uh, with how they're playing three seven-footers. I'm kind of old school in the fact that I still would love to see centers have a place in today's NBA um, because I personally, I think the league's better when seven-footers matter in big moments. Um, But it's, it's interesting. And the only way they're really able to get away with this is I guess you can kind of play uh, Laurie as like a supersized small forward yeah, uh, because yeah. he's able to run the floor and shoot. Um, I think it's experimental. And I think the Cavs have the ability to experiment like this because they really don't have any expectations for the seat. Like no one's expecting much from them. Mm-hmm. And so they're just seeing, hey, if, let's see if this works. Because on some nights, this might really work against those smaller teams. Like the Bulls, for example, one of those teams that are running like almost four guards in a starting lineup. Yeah. Um, that This could have an advantage over teams like that because I've seen just by watching the Bulls, like um, if you're trying to rebound, get defensive boards, it's so easy for that uh, uh, guy to come and grab that missed shot and put it back up right away, which I've seen my team be – victimized by that that's why we lost to the knicks mm-hmm. um, so it's gonna be interesting if maybe the, this is a new trend where every team's gonna start looking for three seven footers and uh maybe the Cavs are onto something who knows or maybe they're crazy yeah i they ended up losing that game to the lakers but i was just kind of fascinating to see i know i've been critical of the lakers in the last podcast where i kind of criticized them for just kind of grabbing up any center that came available you know the starting deandre jordan having dwight howard coming off the bench when it seems to be not how that team plays best but just ha- and having those guys in the lineup didn't seem to affect the Cavaliers. And it almost seemed like when you start those three seven footers, you would just kind of expect that you'd be a lot slower team. You know, obviously you have length on your side, you have height on your side, but they didn't seem slow. And I think the reason behind that is, like you said, Laurie Markinen, he's more of a shooter than anything. He's not a typical big man. He's not going to go down there ground and pound, but they do have a guy in Jared Allen who that's how he plays. He's more of a typical big man. He's down there. He's battling on the boards. He's getting the putbacks and that's kind of what he is, but Mobley 
who I was interested to see him coming in as a rookie. He's good. He's good, man. And he kind of plays that that middle ground between the two. He's kind of that connection between Laurie Markland where he can go out there, he can knock down a shot, but also he's a big body that can get rebounds as well. And I know LeBron gave him the ultimate respect after the game. He was saying that Cleveland's got themselves a good one in, in Evan Mobley. And I was I was surprised. It was awesome to see they, they were able to stretch out the defense with three big men on the floor. And you don't often be able to see that. They were stretching out the Lakers' defense, which we don't know how great the Lakers' defense is going to be at the end at the end of the day. But, I mean, hey, it's the Lakers are a talented team. This height can definitely cause some issues for teams. Their rebounding can easily get them so many extra possessions in a game. And, you know, I, I think that they're a tough matchup for anybody we've seen in the years post-LeBron where they're a scrappy team and we've seen them kind of come up and get some big wins where no one really expected them. They're not a team you can completely overlook, even though most teams probably go in there expecting, you know, they should get a win against Cleveland. But they're a tough matchup for anybody, especially with that. They're going to change how the opposing team plays them. And I think if this works, it could really accelerate their rebuild. I don't know what what their ceiling would look like with this in today's NBA, but I think they got two big men that can knock down shots. They got the height over pretty much any team they're going to play in the NBA. And I'm just interested is, is what I walked away from that game. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just interested. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting roster. And it's, it's kind of a sneaky good roster. Um, I, if you look down from top to the bottom, um, it's not a bad team. Um, they have – it's almost like – it could be close to a perfect setting for a very competitive team in the Eastern conference where mm-hmm. maybe if you plug in one superstar athlete, or if Mobley, who I think will be the best player in his draft class develops into a star or Garland and Sexton get better, which that's still a weird combination. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I don't think uh, Colin Sexton is going to be in Cleveland long, um, but they have a lot of nice pieces on that team where I think they could be a contender in the not too distant future. I mean, I don't think love's going to stay around, but um, if they don't trade him and he buys in and uh, he finishes out his contract in Cleveland, uh, they have a a lot of great veterans on that team. Like Ricky Rubio was a very savvy, solid veteran who I he had a good game the other night too. Yeah. I think he'd be a really integral piece on a competitive team. Um, Of course, Kevin love, he has some championship experience, even though he didn't always play the best. I'm sure, you know, as a LeBron fan, you probably, wanted to pull your hair out a few times just watching you play. <laughs> um, but that's a sneaky good team. Um, it's Yeah, like I said, it remains to be seen how this uh, seven-footer thing is going to go. But uh, I say go for it right now. I mean, they really have nothing to lose. Well, definitely. And I see them right now in the Eastern Conference. They can be easily be one of those teams as they're in the play-in games. And mm-hmm. I don't think any team is looking there saying, like, we want Cleveland just because – when you're going to play them, it, it's going to be different, regardless of if you're going to walk away with a victory or not. You're going to have to change the way that you play. And with a lot of these teams that don't play centers, you're going to have to take some of those big men off the, the bench and play them more minutes. And that's, that's something that your offense or your defense is used to doing throughout the season. So I don't think any team really is going to pick Cleveland as something that they want to play just because different is something that, it causes problems, whether if you're able to overcome them or not. I know the Lakers struggled a little bit with them the other night, which, you know, I keep saying, but we're not so sure, you know, where the Lakers will be at the end. They're sitting at three and three, so some good, some bad. But it was a very interesting game to watch when you think 
you think LeBron against Cleveland post LeBron that it's not going to be a good game, but I thought it was very entertaining overall. So definitely something to keep our eye on as we get further into the season. I think we both think they could be one of those contenders to slide in there for a playing game. And then, you know, who knows, who knows what can do. These guys are only going to get better. Evan Mobley, I agree. Looks, looks good. Only just five games into his or six games into his NBA career. But now I, I, I kind of want to get into see here. I want to kind of get into another team that we both didn't have in our playoffs and right now look very strange. I think was kind of the biggest surprise of the season so far for NBA fans. And how about the Washington Wizards, man? The Washington Wizards sitting at five and one and kind of looked through it. And although they haven't had a very tough schedule, you know, especially, you know, in my eyes, two wins over Boston don't mean much, but they have beaten the Hawks, the Raptors and the Pacers. But Jared, man, I just I got a simple question for you. Are the Wizards legit? I think they could be. Okay. It's Not too yet. early for me to like do my stamp of approval on them. Okay. Um, but I have to say, to give them credit, those two Celtics wins, they're playing against two all-stars, one that's an arguable superstar. So you got to give them. And then, and then YMCA the players on the bench. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, there's some, <laughs> there's some bad Danny Ainge picks on that roster. Um, but, yeah, no, the Wizards – I can say I think they won the Westbrook trade, in my opinion, uh, because you moved. Sure, you moved a superstar talent that's going to fill up the stat sheet and win you some games and just keep you guys motivated midseason. But at the same time, like he's not a real winner when it comes to like moments that matter. As we saw in the playoffs, he he really didn't propel him to a level you'd expect from a player like Westbrook. Mm hmm. And so by moving Westbrook, they got a very nice package of players and Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Montrez Harrell. And then they brought in Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I forget what part of uh, the trade he was. Uh, was that Westbrook trade, a three-team trade? I think it might have been just to kind of make the numbers work. It's some Sometimes we see just these players thrown in just to make numbers work. I think he might have been, been a victim of that, yeah. Yeah, but if you look at the, the, the box scores on the Wizards, um, it's Beal at the top. And then you have um, the next four guys in down and scoring. It's everyone that they brought in this season. Yeah. So they, they've made a lot of great moves. And that was a, a point I was going to bring up way earlier on the green. All these teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, they're teams that made moves this offseason to better themselves. And that all these moves are paying off. And the Wizards are, that's a big reason for them. I mean, Kyle Kuzma's looked pretty good. Uh, yeah. Montrez Harrell looks back to being that six man of the year candidate that he's been for the last like three seasons. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie looks like he hasn't missed a beat. And then KCP's just sitting there knocking down. I don't know if you saw this crazy shot he had the other night, but it was mm -hmm. like one of the wildest step back corner threes I've ever seen. It was, it was probably the nicest three point shot I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the Wizards, and I want to write down, or I want to say, put on record, that when they're firing on all cylinders, can be a scary team. I don't think that they are a team that's scaring anybody just yet. And my biggest concern with this team is health. I mean, we've seen in the past Bradley Beal can miss long periods of time. Obviously, he's such a tremendous player. His commitment to Washington has been insane. And we know that when he's playing, he's a walking bucket. Dude puts up numbers. There's no doubt about it. When he's at his height, he's one of the top 15, 20 players, if not better, in the league. But I kind of wrote down and going off of what you said, it's just this team has embraced, and I say, the island of misfit toys narrative. 
It just kind of seems like a bunch of guys that weren't wanted on their previous teams. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie was, he's a great player coming off the injuries. He's coming off of Montrezl Harrell. Like you said, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Daniel Gafford's had a good, um, a good season so far down in the paint. Davis Bertans, all these guys are being led by Beal and they're just falling into place. And I agree. I looked at the box scores just like you did Beal at the top, like everybody would expect. Dude's a great player. But then just the consistency of the guys in between, it's just solid. It's just 20 points, 18 points, 16 points, 14 points. It's just these guys that are solid contributors that have a lot of them have great experience. Obviously, Montrez, Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and KCP playing over at the Lakers, some of them winning championships. And Spencer Didwitty, obviously coming from Brooklyn and the players that he's played with and in, in his career. And we've seen Den- Spencer Dinwiddie make some pushes to make some all-star teams. And I think that this team, if they're able to stay healthy, and I think that's the big question, which it's a question for a lot of teams, can be a very scary out. And they're number one of those teams, I'm not ready to say, you know, they're going to be a top five seed or anything like that. We're only six games in. But I think it's another one of those teams that if you find yourself in a play-in game and you're playing the Washington Wizards, I don't think you feel too good about it. I think you know that you got a tough competition coming up, especially with all those guys healthy. They're going to be a tough out. Um, I think they definitely have that mentality. Um, and another scary reminder is um, – Thomas Bryant and Roy Hachimura aren't even playing yet. Yeah. So yeah. they still have pieces to add to that team. that are going to uh, definitely make them even, <laughs> even scarier. I don't, I don't remember when I was seeding the entire conference where I had them, but I am definitely regretting like not considering the, I think I definitely had them in the play in, but mm. I regret maybe not having them like eighth. Yeah. I, um, although that would have knocked the Hawks out. And I don't think I could have knocked the Hawks out. It, it gets very, you know, when he starts to go down the list now, it's getting very interesting, especially in the Eastern Conference. I mean, we knew it was going to be tight. We knew how close these teams are going to be, especially once you get to that three through, I mean, heck, even nine, where they're going to be just a few games out. It seems like they are every single year where who knows what team finds their way in and who knows what team finds their way past that first round. And then, then all bets are off. You never know what's going to happen. So, We've seen teams just get hot. We saw Atlanta last year just get hot and just continue to roll. So I think Washington's one of those teams to look out. I'm interested to see how this next week is going to go for them to get some more games under their belt as long as they're continuing to stay healthy. Seeing those guys come back, like you said, Achimura and Bryant, see them get healthier, get closer to a return. Bradley Beal stays healthy, keeps putting up his numbers. And I don't know. Washington, Washington shocked a lot of people. So I don't, I don't think we have to be down on ourselves because we missed it because I think a lot of people missed it. But one thing is those guys in that Washington Wizards locker room is they didn't miss it. They seem to really believe in themselves. And sometimes that's all it takes, man. All right. So speaking of the Wizards in those five and one teams, do you uh, so looking at those teams that are five and one on mm-hmm. both our teams and then the Knicks and the Wizards? Who do you feel is like the least likely to make the playoffs out of those teams? Who so when you see, look, who see, could you see fumbling the bag? Of those four, I would have to say Washington. I, if you told me of those four, one of them was not going to make the playoffs, I would say it'd have to be Washington. I don't, I don't foresee a situation where Miami drops all the way out. I don't see a situation where Chicago could drop all the way out. And the Knicks, even though I'm not – I haven't really completely bought into all the Knicks stock. I think they're a good team, and I think they're going to continue to get better. And 
I don't know. Until Washington proves me wrong, I would have to pick Washington. But that's a good question because once you start to look at the top of that Eastern Conference, especially the start that those guys have gotten off to right now, I mean, they would be the one that I would say would be the weakest. And it's because we haven't really seen them play tough opponents. I mean, the Bulls got the one loss so far, and it's to the Knicks, another 5-1 and team. And Miami, you could say they've been perfect so far, except for they lost to Indiana Pacers in overtime, and Indiana's got Honestly, one win. So the, the Bulls and the Heat could easily be 6-0 and right now. Yeah, it's it, it the Bulls sucks. are literally one shot away. Yeah, one shot. Oh, I know. And Miami just let it slip there at the end of overtime. And Chris Duarte and, and the the fighting he's really Pacers, good. Yeah, he's good. And Demonis Sabonis over there in Indiana, they're they're doing their thing. But I mean, they're I think they're sitting at one and five, and it just sucks that their one win is over a team that's five and one. But <laughs> as the NBA man, that's that's how it that's how it adds up. Any beat any team can beat you on any given Tuesday night. So exactly. Yeah, and uh, kind of moving here towards the end of the podcast, we kind of wanted to start something here on the Team Up podcast. We wanted to start giving out our weekly technical fouls. So we had to start teeing some guys up around the league, either off the court or on the court, that we feel um, either made a mistake or just kind of did something that deserves a little teeing up. So we are going to go ahead with Jared. So, Jared, go ahead and give me your technical foul, my man. So I'm throwing out the first ever team of podcast technical foul to Bradley Beal. Sorry, Wizards fans. I know we talked okay. great about you for most of this podcast, but now it's time to poke a little fun at you. Bradley Beal, uh, as halftime was coming around, got an easy breakaway layup and he missed it, but he got his rebound and then missed it again. It was like an all-time Shackton moment. And But what makes that blunder even better, he cost sports bettors betting on the uh, – the final score for the halftime. Um, so if you bet the over on that, you lost it. And Bradley Beal lost it for you twice. So I feel bad oh, for those man. people that lost all that money. But uh, that's my first uh, technical foul I wanted to throw out. Come on, Bradley Beal. You got to be better than that, man. That's a good one. And I want to give a technical foul out to, and I'm going to go a little bit off the court, and I'm going to go to a head coach, and I'm going to give it to Steve Nash. The reason I'm going to give it to Steve Nash of the Brooklyn Nets is because he came out after discussion was made about these new foul rules, and he did what a head coach is supposed to do and defended his player. But I think he went a little bit too far, and he calls James Harden the poster boy of this new rule. And basically, when, when the public perception is pretty much leaning towards, hey, this was a good idea, to single your player out and say that, hey, this was made because of him and that's why he's struggling – man, you got to hold your players accountable to play better regardless of the rules being changed around him. I think James Harden is an incredible talent that just can't rely on getting these free throws anymore. So as a head coach, don't lean into this, well, they changed the rules for my players, so it's not fair. Lean in towards a, hey, he needs to play better. He knows he needs to play better. And we know that he's such a pivotal part of this team. We need to get him rolling. But Steve Nash, to me, that's a, that's a rookie move as a head coach. That's a screw up. That's a technical foul, if you ask me. So I'm going to give my first one that I'm ever giving out here to Steve Nash, who, you know, still trying to get his footing in this head coaching job, man. So that's where I'm going to give it to, but tee him up. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this week's edition of the TM Up podcast. Be sure to check us out on at TM Up at all of our social media platforms. So we'll be back next week with another episode as we continue to get deeper and deeper into the NBA season. Be sure to check out our social media pages for all of our content, videos, lists, everything that we put up throughout the week. So 
appreciate you guys having a listen and have a great day. See you guys later.